Well, it's the third Sunday of Advent, and we call that the Joy Sunday, and we in this area have a lot to be joyful of. Um, Valdosta State won the Division II National Championship, <laughs> right? Woo! And Georgia Southern won their bowl game, so I'll give you that one too, right? <laughs> okay. So we, we are happy about that, but we don't let that define us as joy. We don't let that be the end all and be all. But that's not always the joy that we experience in this season of the year. Sometimes the true joy, the gladness, the heart of celebration is overtaken by fear and worry that seem to loom large in people's lives. The world has been just a scary place this past year from terroristic incidences to places where war remains, the economy and people losing jobs or having jobs cut because of insignificant funds. There's an increasing worry about climate and and weather, of fires and tsunamis that have claimed people's lives. There's a refugee crisis around the world where millions of people have to flee from what they call home because of the fear of their own lives being taken. And of course, there's all the individual stuff that we experience, financial stress, serious illness, family difficulties, all of which are present even in this place and our community. So how can we proclaim joy to the world in the face of all this? It seems as though this joy is very expected, but unexpected at the same time. In our minds, we tend to overlap with happiness, and happiness is also connected to what is happening to us. So yes, we may be happy today because of events that happened yesterday, but does that define the joy that God has called us to live into, this Lord of gladness that is pouring out on us? When what's happening to us can seem scary and discouraging, Paul's words about rejoicing in the Lord can be a pretty hard sell. But the truth is, is that in the New Testament, joy is not usually inspired by happy circumstances. More often than not, it's in spite of circumstances. For example, in the book of Acts, when Paul and Silas had been flogged, they had been beaten and bleeding and then thrown into jail in Philippi. There they sat in chains But the Acts tells us that they were far from feeling sorry for themselves. Acts chapter 16, verse 25 says, about midnight they were praying and singing hymns to God. This seems to be the standard action of the Christian life and the mission in Acts. Christians get persecuted. Christians rejoice and praise God. And the story goes on. But that is very unexpected in our world today, right? When we hurt or we in pain, we pull out the the sorrow, the pain. 
It's unexpected of us in our world today, but maybe we're waiting for the unexpected to enter into our lives so we can experience the true blessing of joy, this Lord of gladness pouring out into us. So today, this third Sunday of Advent, it's traditionally known as the Gaudet Sunday and the Latin word for joy. And the note of joy in our scripture reading today is strong. In this Old Testament lesson, we hear Zephaniah, a prophet for whom most of his book is about foretelling judgment against Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, he's switching gears and in an unexpected jubilation and finishing the prophecy on a note of celebration. Verse 14, sing aloud, O daughter Zion. Shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. Why is joy such a strong characteristic of Christian discipleship? Advent provides us with two points of focus for this joy. First, we rejoice because of the past. Infant, holy, infant, lowly. All this where we sing of this babe born in a manger. And we look back to this incredible time in human history when God became a human being and came to live among us in Christ Jesus. But yet we also, in this season of Advent, we rejoice because of the future. We are well aware of the continuing presence of evil in the world. But we rejoice because of God's promise that God's kingdom will come. God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we will live together in justice and peace forever. Because of these two points of focus, the past and the future, we live in joy here and now in the present between the two comings of our Lord. And when we look at our reading from Zephaniah, we discover, I'm breaking all Methodist rules, four reasons for this outrageous sense of joy and celebration among God's people. First, we rejoice because we have been forgiven. You heard the, the, the moment of celebration, sing aloud, shout, rejoice with all your heart. But then he goes on in verse 15, the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. So imagine yourself a condemned criminal coming to the courtroom to hear sentence being passed down by a judge. There's no doubt of your guilt and your head hangs with the probability of an enormous penalty that will overwhelm you for the rest of your life. There's no hope of relief and you've resigned yourself to your fate. The judge asks you to stand and in absolute amazement, the judge says a pardon for your crime has been received. You are free to go and your record is clear. According to the gospel, that is what God has done for us. And then the question we ask ourselves in this season of Advent is, do you believe it? 
This is truly the heart message of Jesus Christ. And so if you find yourself today without joy because you're carrying the burden of guilt on your shoulders, the gospel says you do not have to carry it a moment longer. Place it at the feet of Jesus. Leave it there and walk away free and forgiven. If you've believed this, if you have experienced this, this is certainly a reason to rejoice. We rejoice because we are forgiven. Second, we rejoice because the Lord of gladness lives among us. And continuing in our scripture, it says the king of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more. On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. So this is the time of year when children are mailing letters to Santa Claus. We do this, December 1st, our letter goes to the mail and there's a great little store over here in the, the crossings that you can deliver into the mailbox and your letter gets mailed to Santa. And Lily Grace, my youngest, she's like, Mom, where's the mailbox that we mail letters to God? Oh, what would be God's address? Daddy wasn't around to answer the question that day, so I came up with some answer. <laughs> but in contrast to this view, the Old Testament people had this strong sense that God's presence with Israel, and especially in the temple in Jerusalem. As long as God was there in the midst of his people, they felt secure, they felt safe. He would protect them from their enemies and from disasters of all kinds. But when the Babylonians came to destroy the city and to take the people away into exile, they wondered what had happened to God's presence among God's people. The only conclusion that they could draw was that God was no longer with them. God had abandoned them to their fate and that their sins had caused this terrible situation. For these people, verse 17 was very, very good news. The Lord your God is in your midst. For Zephaniah to tell them that God was living among them again meant that God had forgiven them of their sins and that God was willing to start again. For us as Christians, the good news is even better than that. The traditional gospel reading for Christmas Day tells us the word became flesh and lived among us, dwelt among us. A paraphrase from Eugene Peterson phrases it this way, the word became a human being and moved into the neighborhood. Because of the birth of Jesus, God lives in the neighborhood. He has become to us as a human being and shared our life. He didn't leave the neighborhood when he ascended into heaven. His gift, God's gift of the Holy Spirit means that God is with us today. So where's that mailing address? The address for us is that God 
is with us in our homes. God is with us in our hearts. This morning, God's address is 1102 Fair Road because Jesus said where two or more are gathered, I am there, I am in their midst. God is among us as we worship. God is with you when you leave to go home. God is with you in your place of work tomorrow. He will be there ahead of us. God is not far away leaving us aloof and alone. But God made the decision to become one of us. So we rejoice this day because we are forgiven. We rejoice because God lives among us and in our hearts. And we rejoice because God rejoices over us. Listen to verses 17 and 18 again. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing as on a day of festival. Do you hear that? Apparently God is so excited about us that he sings, that God sings songs of joy over us. That's what this verse says. Yet for several of us, that's hard to believe. Maybe we grow up in this low opinion of ourselves for kind of reasons and it's pretty hard for us to accept that anyone would actually enjoy spending time with us. And as believers, we transfer this thought even to God and our relationship with God. We think of ourselves as unworthy and we might be able to force ourselves to believe that God could tolerate us, but surely not enjoy us, rejoice over us. But verse 17 says that exactly. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will re renew you with his love. He will exult over you with loud singing as on the day of festival. You are one of God's people. These words are spoken to you. God rejoices over you. I'm part of this group on Facebook and a clergy friend, another woman pastor said, I want to introduce you to a God who loves you more than you can ever imagine and who made you for the pleasure of knowing you. How does this good news impact our habits of study, of prayer? Surely the best motivation for me to pray is the knowledge that God made me for the pleasure of knowing me. God is looking forward to spending time with me, with you and your company. It may be hard to believe, but this is what the scripture is laying out for us. So we've seen three things specifically that we can rejoice in. In the midst of all the stuff that life throws at us, we rejoice, we experience the Lord of gladness when God forgives us of our sins and welcomes us into his presence. Second, God is not far away from us. God became one of us. God lives among us and is with us in our gathering. 
And thirdly, God rejoices over us and loves spending time in our company. And there's one more thing that Zephaniah wants us to rejoice about. We rejoice because God is bringing us to our eternal home. Verse 20, at that time, I will bring you home at the time when I gather you. Imagine if you could never go home. Imagine being one of the Israelites in exile in Babylon for 70 years. That's two, three generations. And during this period, they preserved their language and culture, the identity as Jewish people. They purified themselves from the worship of idols and they longed for the day they would return to their own land. Earlier generations of Christians had this same longing and what the Nicene Creed calls the life of the world to come. They would sing, and I believe we've sang, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. Today many of us live a comfortable life we can easily buy into the illusion that complete happiness is possible in this world as it is. Politicians, retailers, I'm certainly about Amazon, want us to believe that it makes us more susceptible to the unrealistic promises that they make. If you buy into what they are offering, you just have a thing. And maybe for a while we believe it. But then there's things that happen that can shake us up. It could be death, the loss of a job, illness, cancer. Then we realize afresh that it's a mistake for us to expect complete happiness right now. We were made for something better. We were made for eternity. The kingdom of God is our home. And on the day when he comes, when he calls us in, then we will truly find joy forevermore. So there's a now in our joy from the Lord of gladness. And there's a not yet as well to this joy that we experience as followers of Christ. Now we have the joy that our sins are forgiven. Now we have the joy of knowing God lives in our hearts and that God lives among us as we meet and worship together. Now we might possibly even dare to believe that God rejoices over us for the pleasure of knowing us. But not yet do we know this complete, unadulterated joy with no hint of sorrow that we will know in the day to come. That's the future side of Advent. We look forward to the day when God's kingdom comes and God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And on that day, each of us will rejoice as we are home with God. Let us now in this time, obey Paul's exhortation from Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. 
And again, I say rejoice. Will you join me as we go to God in prayer? Oh God of us all, you are here among us. And in the presence of you surrounding us now, we rejoice. We rejoice that you have forgiven us of our sins when we fall short. We rejoice that you call us into a presence with you and the desire you have for us to be connected as believers. We rejoice that you want to be in relationship with us. Oh, holy and mighty God, may we rejoice this day and may we experience all from the Lord of gladness the joy that is to come when we come, when you come again in glory. Guide us now, O oh Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.